where we are talking all about family and relationships. And in case you missed any of the past couple of weeks, quick recap, week one, we talked about a winning game plan for families. What does it look like? What does it mean for families to win? Then last week, we talked about a sensitive issue that affects all of us as we looked at how we move past our past. But today, you know, one of the challenges in teaching and preaching a message series like this is recognizing that we're all in different seasons of life. We're all at different places when it comes to family and relationships. And that is especially true today as we're going to be talking about parenting. Because I recognize that in a room like this that not everyone is parents. Some of you here today might one day hope to be a parent. Others of you aren't so sure that you ever want to be a parent because you've met some kids and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure I I ever want to really do that. Some of you, for one reason or another, might be wondering if having kids is even going to be a possibility for you. I know there are people in our congregation who are in the middle of an adoption process and are just waiting to have that call to be placed with a family or a birth mom who is ready to give her child up in adoption. So there are a lot of people that aren't parents, but then there are a lot of us who are parents, And even those of us who are parents are at different places and stages with that. Some of us have little ones, babies and toddlers at home. Others have, you know, are trying to make it through the dreaded teenage years. Others of you have kids in college. Others of you have kids that are grown and gone and they're raising their own families. They're in their own careers doing well. You know, others of you have kids that are grown but not gone. And you're wondering, like, are they ever going to leave? And if I could just encourage you today, you know, maybe you could take your cues from Mother Nature because when baby birds are ready to fly, what does Mama Bird do? She makes the nest really, really uncomfortable and kind of like shoves them out the nest. It's okay, parents, to, to do that with your children as well. But we're all at different places when it comes to parenting. But there's a couple things I know for sure that we all have in common here today so that we all don't For those of us that don't have kids, maybe you're thinking, okay, great, a message on parenting. I'm just going to tune out for the next 35 minutes or so. We all have these two things in common. Number one is that we all have an opportunity to impact and influence the next generation. You don't have to be a parent to influence the next generation. So we all have that in common. And we also probably know at least one or two parents that could use some encouragement. So some of the things you're gonna hear today, you'll be able to use to encourage somebody who's having a hard time in their parenting. Because how many of you know that parenting is really hard work, right? Really hard work. Only half of you raised your hands, which means the other half of you either aren't parents or you've raised the perfect kids. And so congratulations on that. But for the rest of us, we recognize that parenting is really, really hard. And this week, I found a few e-cards that kind of, in a humorous way, highlight how hard parenting can be and kind of takes you through the progression of what that looks like in various stages of a child's development. And this first one happens when we first bring that child home from the hospital. I wish we had even a clue as to what we were doing. How many of you felt that way the first time you drove home from the hospital? Oh my goodness. I remember looking at my wife as we drove home from the hospital and looked in the back seat at our firstborn son like, they're letting us take him home. Like, what are we supposed to do? 
And then the next day, like, okay, we're getting adjusted to new life as parents. And we give Sammy his first bath the day after we bring him home from the hospital. And, you know, we got all the stuff from the baby shower. We got the water temperature just right. We're being super gentle and delicate, you know, afraid that we're going to break him or something. And, but we make it through the bath and we take him out. We're drying him off and then lotioning him up. And after a while, trying to rub all this lotion in, Kelly's like, man, why isn't this rubbing in? He's so sticky everywhere. And I grabbed the bottle of what we thought was lotion, and it turns out it was actually baby shampoo. It was body wash. And so we just gave him a second bath while he was dry, and so we had to, we had to do it all over again. I wish we had a clue as to what we were doing. This next e-card happens, though, in the toddler years. Remember the day you brought me home and you were filled with joy? Go to that place, because I just drew all over the walls and shaved the dog. We've been there before. This next one I think moms can especially relate to. The quickest way for a mother to get her children's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. How many of you moms can relate with that? I know my wife tells me all the time, sometimes I'll call home from work and the moment, like they could be busy like playing a game or doing something and the moment she's either on the phone or sits down to read a book, mom, 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 mom. Never happens. Mom can't get a minute alone. And then this last one, we've all been there. Parenting is easy. It's like riding a bike, except the bike is on fire, and you're on fire, and everything is on fire. No doubt parenting can be incredibly challenging. Now, don't get me wrong. Kids are awesome. The Bible says that kids are a gift or a blessing from the Lord, and they certainly are that. There is nothing quite as rewarding as being a parent, but there's also nothing quite as challenging about being a parent either, because we have a huge responsibility that God has given us to raise these children. We have to train them to care for themselves, to think for themselves, to be respectful, how to handle money, how to treat people. Most importantly, we've got to teach them how to know and follow Jesus. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, our primary objective or priority as parents needs to be to transfer their dependence over time from us and onto God. As parents, our job, obviously, we know that we raise them to release them. And when we release them, we want to know that they've got a foundation of faith that is solid enough for them to stand on that will last them for their whole lives, knowing that God is trustworthy and dependable. And so our job as parents is to transfer their dependence from us and on to God. But how do we do that? How do we do that? And today, by no means do I want to communicate to you that I'm up here as some kind of expert when it comes to parenting because we're just trying to figure things out, right? We're in the throes of parenting ourselves. We've got two little ones at home. Sammy is eight and Isaac is six. And so we make mistakes, but we have figured some things out that we think are working well. And I want to share some of those things with you here this morning. But before I do, I want to share with you a couple of truths about parenting. And as we get started, I want to look at a verse that's found in your notes in the bulletin. It's a verse that's often quoted when it comes to parenting. It's found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, which says, Train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, depending on your experience as a parent or your experience with kids, this verse is going to hit you in one of two ways. It's either going to make you feel really great or really guilty. 
And the reason you feel that way is because at first glance, you see this verse as a promise that if parents will do their job well, their kids will turn out well. So if you feel great, it's because your kids are doing really great and their greatness is all a reflection of your greatness as a parent. But if they're not doing so great, then you're feeling guilty because you realize that maybe if I had just parented them better or if I had trained them better, they would have turned out better, okay? But what I wanna caution you about is recognizing that this verse is a proverb and not a promise. And there's a difference. See, promises are absolute, especially God's promises. When God says something, when he promises something, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. And you can build your life on the promises of God. They are reliable and dependable. But a proverb is a general observation about how life usually works out. All right, the book of Proverbs mostly was written by Solomon that were observations that he had made of life as he lived his life but they are not absolutes. For example, the righteous are not always honored. The wicked sometimes succeed. Hard workers can lose it all and the lazy can strike it rich. And sometimes kids don't always follow their parents' godly training. It's a proverb, not a promise. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first truth about parenting. Godly parenting does not guarantee godly kids. As we'll see, it certainly helps, but godly parenting does not guarantee that your kids are gonna know and follow Jesus. It does not guarantee godly kids. So let me encourage those of you here today who are feeling guilty right now. Stop it. Seriously, there's no point in feeling guilty. All right, you could do everything right and your kids could still make decisions to turn away from and walk away from their faith. So if you're doing your best, keep doing your best and trust God with the rest, but you don't need to feel guilty because godly parenting does not guarantee godly kids. And if you're here feeling great today, let me say this, be careful, be careful, all right? I don't want any of us to succumb to the temptation of looking down our noses at parents of kids who aren't doing so well and thinking that you're better than they are because your kids are just one choice away from kind of messing their lives up as well. So if you're feeling guilty, stop, there's no point. If you're feeling great, just be careful. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, well, that's great, Pete. You're not giving me a whole lot of hope here. If godly parenting doesn't make a difference, then, you know, what hope do I have? That's not what I'm saying, all right? Because godly parenting does make a difference. And there's a lot of things that factor into how our kids turn out aside from your parenting, right? There's their personalities. There's their natural gifts and talents and aptitudes, the friends that they hang out with and spend time with that influence them greatly, the experiences that they have throughout the course of their lives, the challenges that they encounter throughout their lives, physically or mentally or emotionally. These are all things that contribute to how our kids turn out. So godly parenting isn't the only thing that contributes to how our kids turn out. It doesn't guarantee godly kids, but it does make a difference. And that's the second truth I want to give you today is that godly parenting does matter. It matters to our kids and it matters to God. Throughout scripture, God places a huge priority on parenting and raising children. And by far, the thing he talks about the most when parenting is the topic is the subject of discipline. Now, when we think of discipline, we usually think of it as punitive or as punishment. We see our kids doing something wrong and we wanna punish them so that they don't do it again. And while punishment 
especially natural consequences, is certainly a component of discipline. By and large, discipline has more to do with training than it does with punishment. Why? Because kids aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. And sometimes, a lot of times, in fact, failure is one of the best teachers in life. Discipline is more about training than it is about punishment. So when they do make mistakes, the best correction that they respond to is not like, why did you do that? Or what are you doing? The correction they respond best to is when you come alongside of them and you teach them and you show them and you, let me show you how to do this the right way. Now, our children have the responsibility to obey and follow our instruction and God holds them responsible for the choices that they make. But he holds us as parents responsible for the way that we teach and train them. And so the key verse for today is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Paul would write this to a church in Ephesus that he planted, which is in modern-day Turkey. He writes, fathers, and the Greek word for that that was used in the original language can refer to both mom and dad. So parents, do not exasperate, which means to provoke, to annoy, or to aggravate. So don't be a punk, in other words, to your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are two basic principles that I see in this verse. Number one is don't make unreasonable demands of your kids. And number two, make Jesus the center of your relationship with them. I know that's not in the insert of notes for your bulletin, but if you want to write that down, I'm going to say that again. There's two principles in this verse. Number one, don't be unreasonable in your demands. Make reasonable expectations or rules for your kids. And number two, make Jesus the center. And so in the time we have left here today, I'm going to share with you some guidelines for how we do just that. And I'm calling them training wheels today because the five things that, are gonna, that I'm going to give you will spell out or will begin with the words that spell out train, T-R-A-I-N. I want you to circle that word in that verse, training. And I'm also calling them training wheels because these guidelines kind of serve in the same way that training wheels do for a bike. Like parenting works the same way. What do training wheels do on a bike? They help a child stay balanced until they can learn how to do it for themselves. And similarly, parenting is about trying to help kids understand the principles to live by so that until they figure it out on their own. So these are five training wheels that I'm going to give you today. And hopefully by spelling out train, it will help you to remember it a little easier. So as we go through these five things, I want you to think about your own kids. Think about how you can apply these to your kids, to your family. Even if your kids are older and out of the house, these principles still apply. And if you're not here a parent today, even if you don't have kids, maybe you're a teacher or a coach, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, maybe you have kids that live next door or in the neighborhood, ask yourself, like, how can I apply this in the classroom or on the field, you know, in my extended family or in the neighborhood? So the first training wheel, right, the, first, the T in train is to teach them about Jesus. Teach them about Jesus. In the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are getting ready to enter the land that God had promised to give them. And really the whole book of Deuteronomy is 
kind of Moses end of life speech as he is kind of downloading all of the wisdom that God had given him, all of the rules and laws that God had given him. And in chapter five of Deuteronomy, he kind of reviews all 10 of the 10 commandments. But then he says this to them in chapter six, verse five, he says, you must love which means to be loyal and obedient to God in every way. So love the Lord your God with all, with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. Verse six, these words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. I want you to circle that word teach in verse seven. In Hebrew, that word means to repeat again and again and again. So the picture here is that we would tell our children about God and his ways over and over again using any and every opportunity. This is not a once a week lesson time. This is a way of life. Now structure and routine are important. And my wife and I try to build as much structure and routine into our kids' lives to help teach them about Jesus. They see us starting our days by reading scripture and doing our devotions, and that's part of their morning routine. They get up, make their beds, brush their teeth, and they do their morning devotions. We homeschool our kids, and Kelly starts each day by praying with them before they jump into their lessons. We also pray with them before bed every single night. So we try to build that structure and that routine. But listen, when it comes to teaching our kids about following Jesus, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. It's the example we set for them more than it, more than it is the words that we say. So if we want a relationship with Jesus to be important to them, then they have to see that it's important to us. In 2014, an organization by the name of the National Study of Youth and Religion released a study that shows the importance of parents when it comes to influencing their children when it comes to faith. I want you to listen to these statistics, these findings in this survey that they released. In households where parents gave little importance to faith, only 1% of those kids had an active faith in their mid to late 20s. 1% of kids that grew up in a home where parents gave little importance to faith. But in homes where the parents talked about faith, gave great importance to their beliefs, and who attended church regularly, 82% of those kids still had an active faith in their mid to late 20s. I know we hear all of these doom and gloom statistics about how rapidly millennials are leaving the church, but listen, parents, you have a huge obligation and opportunity to lay a foundation for your kids, and your influence is unsurpassed. If you will model for your kids what life looks like following Jesus, 82% of kids that grow up in homes where parents modeled this and prioritized it still had an active faith in their mid to late 20s. That's huge. And you know what the number two influence was behind parents? Grandparents. So grandparents, you have a huge opportunity to influence your grandkids as well. It's not enough to say it, they have to see it. So what about you? Can your kids tell that faith is important? Do they catch you reading scripture or spending time in prayer? Do they see you treating other people with kindness? at the store, or on social media. I mean, we live in a digital world, 
right? How you interact with and engage with people online, on Facebook. It's amazing to me that some things Christians have the audacity to say on social media that they would never say to someone face-to-face. Are you being kind in your interactions with people online? How about Sundays? Do your kids see you making it a priority to worship regularly and attend church every single week or only when it's convenient for you? More is caught than taught. It's more important that they see it, not just hear it. All right, so we teach them about Jesus. All right, the second training wheel, the R in train, is to resist exasperating them. Resist exasperating them. Earlier in Ephesians 4, we talked about this word exasperate and how it means to provoke our kids. And I think one of the biggest ways that we do that is through unreasonable authority. You know, when we say things like, just do it because I said so, or do what I say, not what I do, or like, if you don't stop doing that, I'm taking screen time away forever for the rest of your life. When we have these unreasonable expectations or we communicate in a harsh or angry manner, the authority that we want to exercise as parents, it can exasperate our kids. Look at the next verse in your notes. Paul would write in Colossians 3.21 when he said, fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. You know, a lot of times I find that we tend to get into these power struggles with our kids. And rather than, you know, sticking to the goal of training them, we get into this battle where we just want to win the war. We want to win the battle. But at what price? At what cost? Is it worth discouraging your kids to win the battle? Now listen, I'm not saying that we as parents need to be pushovers because sometimes we do need to stand our ground to communicate or to protect them or to teach them a lesson. But if we're unreasonable in our expectations, then our kids don't think they can ever please us. And if we're insensitive to their feelings or their emotions, then they may grow up thinking that we don't really care about what they feel. So before we move on, just be honest with yourselves. Ask yourself, like, do I have unreasonable expectations or rules for my kids? Am I insensitive to their feelings or their emotions? And if there's not anything specific that comes to mind, don't just assume that you're off the hook or that you're good there because this may be easily one of the biggest blind spots for parents. They think they're good, but if you really want to know how you're doing, ask your kids. Kelly and I are in the habit of regularly kind of like just asking our kids, I, just a couple of weeks ago, I asked my boys, I said, hey, Sammy, is there anything that daddy ever does that makes you feel like afraid or, you know, that, is there anything that I could do to be a better dad? Is there anything that hurts your feelings when I say or do it? And just when you ask them, just be quiet and listen. Let them have the freedom and the permission to share with you the things that they're truly feeling. And then you'll have a, a good gauge on whether or not those things are present in your life. So we teach them about Jesus. We resist exasperating them. And the third training wheel, the A, is to accentuate the positive. Accentuate the positive. As you write that in, look at the next verse in your notes. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I want you to underline that phrase in your notes. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Because the things we, we say should be used to build others up and only to build others up. 
Now, this verse isn't speaking in particular to parents. This is really in reference to all of our relationships with people that our words should be used to build others up. But shouldn't it be especially true in parenting? Scientists say that our brains have what's called a negativity bias, which means we're predisposed to and more affected by negative news than by positive news. In fact, they say that we have to hear five positive affirmations to outweigh and cancel out one negative criticism. Five positive words to outweigh one negative word. We need to accentuate the positive. Look, Life Church, our kids have enough negative voices in their lives. They're going to grow up with all sorts of negative voices from friends to, to, to the schools that we grow up in and, and the negative influence that we hear in social media, you know, and the media in general. Can we just determine that as a church and as parents that we're not going to be one of those negative voices? Listen, we've got the opportunity to tell our kids what they're good at and why to see the things that God has placed in them and call that out, to call them higher. Tell them that we're proud of them. I try to tell my boys as often as I can, boys, you've got what it takes because that's one of the things that still today at 40 years old, I still struggle with. This constant, this constant like self-doubt and questioning of myself, like do I really have what it takes to do this? And I want my boys growing up knowing that their dad told them over and over and over again that you've got what it takes to do everything that God has called you to do. I tell them you're kings among men, you are leaders, you are great, God has put greatness inside of you. You've got what it takes, boys. We have the opportunity as parents, as teachers, as coaches, as people who can influence the next generation to accentuate the positive, to call out what's good in them. So think about your kids for a moment. Are they down on themselves? Because chances are they are. Are you gonna be someone that calls out what you see in them, can build them up? How can you build them up this week? One of the ways we try to do this at home with our boys is we've gotten in the habit, we've got this big chalkboard wall in our home, and we started writing down some of our core values that we have as a family, and the biggest one for me that I want to be instilled in my boys is respect, and for Kelly, her biggest one is kindness. So we've written those things on the chalkboard wall so that we can constantly be visually reminded of what we're trying to strive for in our house in terms of how we want to interact with one another. And any time... We see our kids demonstrating those values. We praise them for it. Because listen, these two things have a very different way of being communicated. You could say like, be kind to your brother when he's being unkind. We could criticize him for being unkind. Or when we see him being patient with his brother, we say, Sammy, I noticed that you, know, you were being patient with your brother. Thank you so much for demonstrating kindness. That builds and affirms the positive behavior because what you celebrate will be repeated. What is celebrated will be repeated. Whatever you want to see demonstrated and encouraged in your kids' lives, call that out instead of like constantly criticizing what they're doing wrong. What is celebrated will be repeated. How can you start reinforcing the good choices they make instead of just punishing them for the bad choices? All right, so that was accentuate the positive. The fourth training wheel, the I in train, is to invest relationally. If you're taking notes, write that down, invest relationally, and here's what that means. Intentional interaction with your kids. 
This is one of the things that growing up, I felt like my dad did pretty well or as well as he knew how to. When my dad received a call into vocational ministry later on in life, I was you know, probably five or six at the time and that started us on a journey of, of moving every year and a half to two years and he was working full time while going to school full time. And because of that, there wasn't a whole lot of leftover time for family. But somehow my dad made time to spend time with his family. And some of my fondest memories as a kid growing up are when my dad would say, hey, boys, let's go out in the yard and just throw the football around. And so we'd pretend to be Buffalo Bills football players. And my dad would be like, Kemp to Reed, touchdown. You know, and it would be all this, this fun. And that's some of my greatest memories as a kid. Or we'd pick up a you know, game of football with the kids in the neighborhood. My dad would be all-time quarterback and play quarterback for both teams. And I mean, he invested in us relationally. And that's what I'm trying to do even more so with my kids now. You know, this week, my wife went down to Florida to take senior portraits of her niece. And some of you may have seen my post on social media on Friday where I got to, we have a boys night out. We got to go see the latest Star Wars installment with the movie Solo. It was awesome. And then after the movie, I mean, several times during the movie, Sammy leaned over me and said, Dad, thank you so much for bringing us to this. This is awesome. And then we went out for a great manly steak dinner. We did the manly bonding and had a good steak at Texas Roadhouse. And on the way home, both boys said to me from the back seat, Dad, this was the best night ever. I'm investing in my kids relationally, spending time with them. You know, last year I started the tradition that we're gonna continue every year throughout their years until they leave our house of every summer doing a father-son camping trip. I started it last year with Sammy when he turned seven. This year I'll go with both of them because Isaac's not yet seven and I want that to be something I do with him one-on-one -on -one next year after he turns seven. But man, I want my kids growing up knowing that when they think about their childhood after they're grown and gone, they knew that dad cared and wanted to spend time with them, that he invested in, the, in them relationally. And here's the thing. I think that most of us recognize that this is important. We know that we should spend time with our kids, so the question is, why don't we do it more often, right? And most of us would say, I'm just too busy, I got so many things going on, I'm, I'm working two jobs, but even that at the end of the day boils down to, I think, selfishness. We're more concerned with our own priorities than we are with our kids. Even though they may be important priorities, it boils down to selfishness, and Paul would write about that in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, when he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, parents, but take an interest in others too. And again, this verse isn't speaking directly to parents. It's speaking to all of us in our relationships with one another. But again, we can apply this to parenting as well. Don't look out only for your own interests, but for your kids' interests as well. Now, this doesn't mean that our needs, our priorities as parents are unimportant. In fact, I would say one of the best gifts you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. So you need to invest in your marriage as well. But the greatest gift you can give your kids is the gift of yourself, the gift of your time. They don't need more presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. They need more of your presence, E-N-C-E. They want your time. They just want you. So this week, what's one way you can invest in your kids? Maybe spend some time with them, doing something that they enjoy. 
Maybe it's playing video games. For us, our boys got a trampoline this year and they're constantly asking Kelly and I, hey, will you go jump on the trampoline with me? And what does it take for us to take 10 minutes to go and jump on the trampoline with them? I learned how to do a flip this year. I can do a front flip on the trampoline from jumping with my kids. Maybe you take them out to lunch this week. Just ask them questions. Say, how's life? Like, what's the best thing about life for you right now? What's, what's the hardest thing about life for you right now? Take an interest in their activities. Ask them questions. Maybe it's just going to be a decision you make this week to spend at least five minutes a day of uninterrupted interaction with them. Put the phone away. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's before bed at night. But just spend five minutes a day with your kids. All right? Let's make some deposits this week. Let's invest in our kids. So we teach them about Jesus. We resist exasperating them. We accentuate the positive. We invest relationally. And the last one is this. We never give up. Never give up. Not on them and not on ourselves. You know, some days I feel like dad of the year because some days my boys tell me, my youngest son, Isaac, his latest thing that he'll tell me, he's like, dad, you're the best dad in the history of dads. That's what he tells me. And I'm like, thanks, buddy. I feel really good when he says that to me. Like both of my boys are very affirming of the way that I parent them. But there are some days where I know that I blow it, that I lose my cool, I lose my temper, and I I get angry, I yell at them, and I, I belittle them or demean them, and I can see it when I've wounded them by the look on their face. And in those moments and on those days where it's a bad dad day, and we all know what it's like to have a bad parenting moment, I'm encouraged by what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Because there are moments we just want to throw in the towel and give up. Paul said this, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Not some things, not most things. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Parenting is hard work. Sometimes we could want to give up, but we don't. This reminds me of when my boys were younger. We used to do timeouts with the boys when they were younger, and we had a timeout bench that they would go and sit in. And we knew that we wanted uh, timeouts to be instructional, not just punitive. And so we always tried to instill a lesson in them, you know, when they would go to timeout. And so it would always be pertinent to whatever they were in timeout for. So if Isaac was being unkind to his brother. You know, we would try to have him either say a verse after us that had to do with kindness or simply say, I will be kind. Just affirm that I will be kind. In this particular instance, we had some friends over that we were entertaining for dinner. A friend of mine, I think he was on staff with me and at the church when we lived in Ohio. And uh, Isaac had done something where he disobeyed us. I don't remember specifically what it was that he disobeyed us on, but we sent him to timeout. And, uh, you know, my oldest son, Sammy, has always been pretty compliant. He's very quick to respond to discipline and correction. He wants to please us and wants to know what is expected of him so that he can, like, you know, come in line. And he'll just be like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. He apologizes quickly, responds to discipline. But my younger son, Isaac, has been a little bit more stubborn. He's got a stubborn streak in him. He's very much like his mother. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, very much like me, I should say. I don't know where that came from. Um, And this particular time, so he disobeyed us. And uh, 
we tried to just simply get him to say, I will obey. We were talking to him, telling him why obedience is important, that blessings follow obedience. We're trying to teach them and raise them, you know, from a very young age. I think this was about three or four years ago. He was two or three years old. And, uh, you know, he would interact with us, but the one thing he would refuse to say was the one thing we wanted him to say. As soon as we said, say, I will obey Isaac, he'd be like, no, just like that, no. He got this stern look on his face. No kidding, guys, for three hours. Three hours he sat in that timeout bench refusing to say, I will obey. And we had company over. It totally took over our whole night. And the easy thing to do would have been to give up and say, hey, we'll deal with this later. We'll deal with this tomorrow. We've got company over. But no, we stuck to it. We had to take turns. Uh, Kelly would, would spend time with him in front of the timeout bench trying to get him to say it while I would entertain our guests. After a half hour, we'd switch and I would spend time with them. Finally, this kid was literally falling asleep in the timeout bench. He was literally almost falling off the bench doing the head nod thing. And we would wake him up and say, Isaac, say, I will obey. If you just say, I will obey, this will be over. And finally, after three hours, because we didn't give up, we saw the break in his face as he softened. And he said, I will obey. And that night when we put them to bed, my wife said to him, and she has been so good about doing this throughout our boys' lives, especially when we discipline. She said, Isaac, I want you to know something. Mommy will never give up on you. Mommy and daddy will never give up on you. Even on your hard days when you make bad choices, we'll never give up on you. Parents, listen to me. Maybe you feel like the days of your influence are long past and your kids are out of the house and they're not making great choices and they're not following Jesus. Don't give up praying for your kids. Do not give up. Don't give up. Jesus gives you the strength to go the distance with your kids. So what about you today? Which one of these five training wheels are you gonna try to implement this week or in your parenting? Maybe you're not a parent, but you've got influence in the lives of kids in the next generation. I would encourage you this week as a practical takeaway to just pick one or two of these that you're gonna implement this week. Be more intentional about teaching them about Jesus having a Bible study with your family. Maybe you're gonna be more intentional about trying to use self-control and resist the urge to exasperate them, come down hard on them. Or maybe you're gonna spend more time looking for ways to accentuate the positive and call those things out. I, I don't know what it is, whatever God's speaking to you, but pick one or two things that you're gonna implement this week. But listen, before I close, I just wanna encourage the parents in the room here today. Because some of you are parenting young ones at home. You've got toddlers and it can be exhausting and you're worried that you're screwing your kids up. My wife always says to me, man, I really hope we're doing this right. I really hope we're not screwing our kids up. Can I just encourage you with something? Through Jesus, you've got this. You've got this. Keep doing what you're doing. You've got this with Jesus. But there are some of you here today who are discouraged because maybe your kids aren't making great choices. Maybe they're not following Jesus yet. Listen, I just want to encourage you with this. Don't feel guilty. There's no benefit in feeling guilty. Because listen, you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep investing. Keep praying. Trust God with the rest. But don't feel guilty. You're doing better than you think you are.
Or maybe you're here today and you feel like your relationship with your kids is completely broken, maybe beyond repair. Maybe there was something that happened in the past that totally broke the relationship and maybe you haven't spoken in years or there's things that are wrong. Can I encourage you with something today? We serve a God who specializes in taking things that are broken and making them new again. Broken people, broken lives, and broken relationships. I know there are people here today who are in this category. Don't give up. Don't give up. Ask God to begin repairing what is broken. Ask God to give you the wisdom to know how to reach your son or daughter. Ask God to speak to your son or daughter and soften their heart so that you can begin rebuilding and repairing that relationship. We serve a God who makes broken things new and whole again. Because listen, whatever situation you find yourself in today as a parent, what would it look like for you to trust him today? As kids, we grow up, if we grew up in a healthy household, trusting that mom and dad are gonna provide for our needs. And as followers of Jesus this morning, what would it look like for you to simply trust that God's gonna give you everything that you need as a parent to raise your children well? Can we trust him? Because listen, being a godly parent begins by being God's child. It's the last truth I wanna give you today. You can fill that in in your notes. Being a godly parent begins by being God's child. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, what does that mean? I didn't grow up in the church and I wouldn't identify myself as a Christian. I didn't know these things growing up and what does it look like for me to be God's child? Well, Paul makes it very clear what it means to be God's child when he writes in Galatians 3, 26, the last verse in your notes, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You're children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, all kids disobey their parents. There's never been a perfect child apart from Jesus. And like kids, we've all made choices that go against God. Those choices are called sin. And sin separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to bridge that gap that sin creates when it separates us from God. But God, being the good and perfect father that he is, desires to be restored to a relationship with his kids. So he sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins so that we could be reunited into a relationship with our heavenly father. We can be forgiven. But that's not even the best part. Not only can we be forgiven of our sins, Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb three days later. And because of that, when we place our faith in him, we can have victory over sin. And no matter whatever challenge we face, he always leads us in triumph. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We can have all of that. You can receive all of that. His grace, his forgiveness, his power, his freedom by simply placing your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we become God's child. Can I pray for you today? God, first I wanna just thank you for being a good, good father. Lord, we sing that song so often, but I pray, Lord, that we would truly recognize that you are a perfect father who has modeled for us generosity and kindness and forgiveness and mercy. Lord, you've showered your love on us. You are a good, good father. 
Lord, and I pray for every parent in the room today who's maybe feeling discouraged because of mistakes they've made as a parent. Lord, I pray that your grace would come to them right now and help them to know, Lord, that you are giving them even now everything they need to be the parent you've called them to be and the parent their kid needs them to be. For those that are in the room that maybe aren't parents but have a voice of influence, Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart here today about how we can impact the next generation. Lord, I pray for our kids right now that are on the other side of that back wall and they're learning about you and a faith in you, having fun while doing it. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us as a church partner with parents, Lord, to lay a foundation of faith so that we can transfer their dependence from us and onto you. Lord, I pray especially for the prodigals, moms and dads who have kids that have walked away from you, that are not following you. Lord, I pray that in the same way the prodigal son in the parable that you told came to his senses and returned home, I pray, God, that you would cause them right now in this moment to have this time where they come to their senses and realize that I, I, I was never better off than when I was in my father's house. Lord, and we call the prodigals home right now in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would surround them with people that can speak truth into their lives and encourage them, Lord, to return home. Lord, would you give the parents of prodigals hope to keep praying and to never give up on their kids? With all heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and that last verse I read just hit home with you because you've never identified yourself as a child of God. You've maybe didn't grow up in church. Maybe you did, but you never made the decision for yourself. It was always your parents' thing, but then when you grew up and moved out, you did your own thing. But today you know that, hey, if I'm gonna do this right, I've gotta become God's child. And if that's you here today, I'm just going to simply ask you to raise your hand so that we can pray with you together as a church family and welcome you into God's family. If you want to say yes to Jesus and invite him to your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, just raise your hand and let's pray together and welcome you into God's family. Lord, we just commit this time to you this morning. And I pray that you'd help us as a church be a people that regardless of where we're at, what stage of life we're in, whether or not we're parents, Lord, we would all take up the responsibility of impacting and influencing the next generation, that you would help us to teach our kids well, that you'd help us to resist exasperating them, that you'd help us to accentuate and call out the positive, Lord, that you'd help us to intentionally invest in them relationally, And Lord, that you'd give us the courage and the strength and the determination to never give up. God, we pray all these things in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen, amen. Church, I love you so much. I hope that you feel equipped and encouraged today to go out and be the parents that God has called you to be.